Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone. And like uh, mentioned, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. It is kind of amazing you see the weather in Louisiana. Reed and I lived in Baton Rouge for uh, about two years, and so we're very familiar with the uh, Denham Springs and the Greenwell Springs area that uh, that a lot of the flooding took place in. In fact, my um, my sister's father-in-law, my brother-in-law's dad, uh, got flooded. They had to be rescued by boat by his son a couple days into the flooding, and and uh, so yeah, we're familiar with a lot of the streets and a lot of the neighborhoods that were flooded. So it's kind of kind of crazy. Um, does anyone here know who Bobby Tolan is? Anyone know the name Bobby Tolan? I'm disappointed. Now, somebody might kick. Do we have any old time? St. Louis Cardinal fans. Really, no Cardinal fans here? Oh, there, we got one. Okay, John. That name should be familiar to you. Bobby Tolan played for the St. Louis Cardinals from, I'm dating myself here, from 1965 to 1968. He was a center fielder, right fielder, went on to play for three or four other baseball teams. Uh, but I remember going to a game, it had to be either 67 or 68, and I saw Bobby Tolan hit what had to be... Uh, in, in my mem- memory, anyway, the most majestic uh, home run that I have ever seen. He, he hit a, a ball into the upper deck of Old Bush Stadium, and no one ever hit the ball in the upper deck. That, that was a moonshot. And when he hit it, it's one of those where he knew that, if you watch the Royals last night, Gordon a couple, hit a couple home runs and stood there. He knew they were home runs. When he hit it into the upper deck, he just stood at home and watched it for a while and then jogged around the bases. And after watching that home run, I can still visualize the, just the t- trajectory of that home run. But after that happened, I decided I wanted to be Bobby Tolan. Now, now that was problematic for a couple reasons. Number one, uh, Bobby Tolan was black, and I really couldn't do anything about that. Um, and the second thing that was problematic was he was left-handed. And, and as, as much as my dad had wanted me to bat left-handed, because you're a couple steps closer to first base, you'll beat out more ground balls, um, I, I could, couldn't bat left-handed. I, I tried, but I just couldn't do it. But when I played wiffle ball, I could bat left-handed. So, so when, I bat, when I played wiffle ball, I, every day in the summer, I played wiffle ball with my cousin Benny, uh, and, and I would bat left-handed, and I would be Bobby Tolan. You guys are wondering about the bat. And, and this, was, this is Bobby Tolan's stance. He, and there's other guys like that, but he stood at home plate like this, and, and so playing wiffle ball, that's how I would stand. I'd get up there, and Benny got ready to pitch, and, and I'd, I'd get my hands up here. And, and, and the, the best day in the summer was when I hit a majestic home run over into the, the, the seat. Well, there weren't seats, obviously, playing wiffle ball in our backyards. But, but, but into the right field stands, the short porch in right field, which actually was a barn. And if I hit a fly ball over that, it was a home run. And, and there's times that I – so I'd always bat left-handed, and I was Bobby Tolan. Unless Benny started beating me, and then I'd switch back to right-handed until I got ahead of him, and then I'd go back to Bobby Tolan. But, but I wanted to be Bobby Tolan, so I imitated him. A couple months ago in June, I was down in Springfield. Uh, work had taken me there, and I had a couple moments, so I stopped by to see my grandkids. So I, I ran through Sonic and got them slushes and, and my daughter-in-law a, a tea and, and took it over and visited with them a few minutes. Then on the way out of town, I stopped by where Joel was working, and, and as I walked in, there's a UPS guy in, there, in the office talking with, with uh, Joel and, and uh, uh, his father-in-law, who's his boss at the time. 
And, and so I stepped in, and the UPS guy said, okay, well, I'll, I'll leave now. And Joel said, you don't need to leave, it's just my dad. So they continued their conversation, and they were talking about basketball. Like I said, it was June, playoff time, and, and the guy, so I began to listen to the conversation. The guy said, said yeah, he's ruining the game. And, and I kind of piped, well, who, who, what are you talking about? Steph Curry. Steph Curry's ruined the game for kids. Because all the, he said, I coach a third and fourth grade boys team. All of them want to be Steph Curry. They all think they can shoot 25-foot jump shots for threes and dribble between their legs, behind their backs. And he said, it's ruined the game. All these kids want to be Steph Curry. They're imitating Steph Curry. The truth is, everyone here can probably remember a time uh, when they were a kid or a teenager, maybe last week, when you imitated someone. I bet there's some ladies here that have pictures that you'd like to keep hidden where maybe your, your hair is really big because that was the style of the day. Maybe the, the bands, the ladies had their hair big. Did any guy ever go to school with just one glove on back in the 80s? Thought you were Michael Jackson or something like that? Uh, go ahead and admit it if you did. Uh, the truth is, truth is, we probably all have imitated someone. And here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul challenges us to imitate, but but he raises the bar. He's not asking us, obviously, in fact, he probably is speaking against it in, in his book. He's not asking us to imitate Hollywood, which we tend to do. He's not, not suggesting we imitate fads, which we're often guilty of, or pop culture, or everyone else. In, no, he raises the bar because he asks us, he pleads with us, he offers to us the, the goal of imitating God. Bibles, turn with me in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, let's look at just the, the first couple verses. We, we've been talking for several weeks now in the book of Ephesians, and, and we pointed out that in the first three chapters, uh, Paul talks a lot about telling us who we are in Christ. We're saved by grace, we're adopted, we're heirs of the promise, we're sons, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, we're, we're marked through that Holy Spirit as being authentic. And then he switches in chapter 4 through 6 and begins to tell us because of that, because of who we are in Christ, what our responsibility is, what we should be doing, how that should be affecting us, how that should be motivating us. And so he attacks it again here in chapter 5 when he says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, I, I like how he, he, he says that, be imitators of God, and then he adds just a, it's just a, just a phrase, but everyone gets it. Everyone's going to catch it. Uh, he, he adds that as dearly loved children. It's kind of the illustration. How do you imitate God? Well, you imitate it with the, the mindset of a child. Wanda, I appreciated when you talked about prayer and praying like a child. Amen. That's, I think God's more impressed, honestly, with that than he is with our flowery prayers sometimes because it's from the heart. Aren't we supposed to be like a child? Approach him like a child. So I think God actually would be more impressed with a kindergarten prayer than he is with our, uh, our fancy prayers. But, but we're told as little children, like, like little children imitate, uh, their, their parents imitate. Little girls grow up, and, and when they're small, they at least go through a season when they imitate their mom. Maybe, maybe with permission, probably sometimes with, with, without, they'll, they'll find their mother's makeup and, and put the makeup on, and maybe they get lipstick all over everything, but, but they want to be like mom. Or maybe they jump through the house with mom's high heels on because they want to be like mom. Or, or, or little boys will look at their dad and they want to be just like their dad. 
when, when I was little, I went through a season, it was a short period of time, when, when I wanted to be like, well, no, I, long period of time when I wanted to be, my, be, be like my dad, but, but this particular thing, my dad wore a, uh, wore a baseball hat in a strange way. I don't know that you remember it, Reed, if you ever saw him in a baseball hat, but, but he'd put a hat on, and, and he kind of set it on top of his head, and it cocked to one side. Now, it, it's not because he wanted to look cool. Uh, he wasn't trying to be a trendsetter. He wasn't imitating. I have no idea why he did it. Maybe his head was misshapen. I just never noticed. But his hat always went on and just sat on top and, and crooked. And I remember when I was little that I would put my hat on. And I, the only time I wore a hat was when I was playing baseball. But I'd put my hat on and I'd look in the mirror and I'd put it on kind of on top of my head and turn it just a little to the, to, to, to the side because I want to look like my dad. Now, I didn't last long because one day I looked in my mirror and thought, man, you look like a dork. Um, which, consequently, I realized my dad looked like a dork. I didn't tell him that because I wanted to live to see the next day. But, uh, uh, but, but you get the point. And I think that's what Paul is, that's what Paul's saying here. Be imitators of God. Well, what's that look like? How, how does that happen? Give us an example. Like little children, they, they see their father, they see their mother, they, they want to imitate. So do, do that. We're going to look, uh, actually today, and we'll finish it up next week, uh, these two verses, and this idea of imitating God. In, in, in particular, uh, if you look in the dictionary, it gives uh, uh, at least four de- definitions of, of what it means to imitate, and, and, and we're just going to kind of talk about those. We'll look at one today and probably finish up the other three next week. Uh, here's the first thing. It's, uh, to imitate is to follow the example of, uh, to follow the example of so that's that that's our first and only point today to follow the example example of when we imitate we follow the example of but if we're going to follow someone's example there's a couple things that have to happen that are just natural without this it's going to be tough to follow the example of here's the first one we have to be close enough to see if we're going to follow the example of God as dearly loved children We've got to be able to see God. What, what is God's example? What does God do? What, what's He look like? I have to be close enough to see. Now, if we were to leave church today and I was to say, hey, go eat lunch with Rita and I, I'm going to take you to a restaurant in St. Joe. It's kind of hard to find, so I want you to follow me. Now, if that were to happen, before we got out of Troy, I'll guarantee you this, before we get out of Troy, my wife would say this to me somewhere within the first blocks. Slow down. You're going to lose them. They've got to follow you. Slow down. Am I right? Yeah. To... <laughs> it's not part of the sermon. <laughs> Someone uh, ushers, can we move? No. <laughs> and, and, well, since you're part of the sermon here today, what, what, because I drive too fast, what, um, what would you say, or what would I say to you then? When you say, oh, come on, you're blowing it. Should have worked with you. What I would say to her was, huh? They better keep up. They're following me. They're, they, that's why. If they're going to follow me, they need to keep up. Now, now let's reverse that. If uh, if you said, hey, let's go to a restaurant in Highland. Is there any restaurants in Highland? By the way, I don't know. Let's go to a restaurant in Highland. Uh, 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 follow me. I'll show you where it's at. Before we got out, of Troy Reed's going to say, speed up. You're going to lose them. To which I would say, and this is kind of kind of weird because I would say well they need to slow down so I can keep <laughs> see how that works somehow I'm always the good guy but I, I don't know but but here's the truth if we're going to follow we've got to be close enough 
we got to be close enough to see. So it begs the question. The question comes, it's, it's the obvious question that comes from us. Well, well where, where do we see? How do we see God then? If, if I need to be close enough to see him, and, and that's how I can uh, follow him, where do I see God? Uh, now, we can see God in lots of places. Um, you, can, you can go for a walk this afternoon and just enjoy the, the beauty of the day and the blue sky and, uh, and see the beauty of the creation and see God. We, we came uh, today, we've been coming up through St. Joe to, to Troy, but we came up today up K-7. And coming down the hill uh, past the sign for um, Cedar Ridge, <laughs> uh, you come down the hill, and there's a beautiful, you're just looking down into a valley, and I, I just come to realize, man, that is beautiful. And you see that, well, you can see God there, definitely. So, so we can see God in lots of ways. But where do we really need to see him? What, what are some of the, the, the real ways that we need to see God? We see God in church. I don't want to overemphasize this, but... But the reality is there is something, there is something about being in God's house. And Christ founded the church. He's the, 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 the church is the, the bride of Christ. It was his instrument for, for furthering his kingdom. Uh, the, the church isn't our idea. It's God's idea. It's his plan for us. And, and when we are in God's house, we see God. There's something, I believe there's something magical and just, I apologize, almost mystical um, about when, when God's people come together. When we're together and, and, and have like faith and like encouragement and, and like beliefs and we serve one another and we care about one another and we love on one another, there's just, there's just something about that that was God's plan. And, and when it happens, we see Him. Now, now, let me continue that just a little further, just a little bit of a commercial here. Um, everything involved with church gives us an opportunity to see God. Uh, certainly, we see Him in the music, we see Him in the prayers, we see Him in the devotions, in the sermon, and, and, and in the fellowship that's part of it. We see Him in, 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 in a part of our, our church service in Sunday school. It's an opportunity for us to, to get a little bit closer and to study. I tell you when, and, and I know summer's busy, and I know our, our uh, uh, attendance in Sunday school's been been kind of weak. We got stuff going on. I understand that vacations and picnics and family outings and all this and all that. But the reality is, when when we stay for Sunday school, I say that I'm going to church at Central Day, so I'm not staying for Sunday school, but I'm going to two services. But but when we we stay. It's a place where you see God. Man, when you sit around a, a table with some other believers and you talk about Scripture and you share your stories, it's amazing how many times God uses a class like that to, to speak to something that's going on in your heart. The reality is, when, when you're in Sunday school, you see God. It's amazing that it's us there, but we can see God there. Uh, Bible studies, uh, home groups, whatever the church offers, whatever we have a, a, an opportunity to be a part of, Whenever we meet together with other believers, we see God. So, so how do we imitate him? Well, we start by seeing him. So, so many other things. Uh, Christian music, we can listen to Christian radio, get CDs and listen to that. We can listen to you know, bot radio and hear other preachers and things like All kinds of stuff like that just gives us opportunities. And, and really what I'm, what I'm saying there is that it has to be, it has to be planned. Uh, we, we can... We can see God, uh, and God can appear to us, and, and, and we can see Him in, in uh, random ways for sure. But, 
but we also have to say, God, I'm going to take advantage. I'm going to plan these opportunities to see you. It's also very personal. Uh, our, our, our personal Bible study, our personal times of, of prayer, in, uh, as Wanda said, talking but also listening to what God has to say. When, when, we, when we open ourselves up in a personal way to, to His Scripture, to allow Him to see, whether we just open up and read a psalm or one chapter here or one chapter there, or we have a, some type of Bible study book that we walk through, just an opportunity for God God just to speak into us, we see God. And, and we have to listen then as well. Um, they're not doing it now, but Central used to have a group, um, and, and I'd go with them when I could, uh, a group that used to go to the, uh, the Haven House um, in, in downtown St. Joe. It's a, a ministry that takes care of, of homeless men, gives them a place to live and keeps them fed and off the streets and helps them helps them in social areas and to find jobs and things like that. So we, we would go once a month down there and feed them. One of the guys that went told me this story that one of the times when they were, uh, were, were feeding the guys there, everyone else had all the jobs taken care of. So he was just kind of walking around the room talking to the, the guys that were there. And he sat down across one guy and, and uh, asked him his name, began to talk to him. And the guy said this to him. He said, said you listen to people. And he said, what? What did you say? He said, you listen. What do you mean by that? He, he said, well, I've been watching you, and you listen to our stories. You listen to what we have to say. You want to get to know us. How do we get to know someone? You listen to their stories. It works at a, a homeless shelter. works with God. How, how do we know who God is? We, we listen. Uh, and, and then here's a reality, too. It takes people. How, how do we get to know God? We, we know Him through people. People show us who God is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says something interesting there. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What Paul is saying is, look at me. I'm not the one, I'm just the imitation of the one. I'm following Christ, but follow me as I follow, as I follow Christ. Kind of goes back to that whole idea of where do we see God? We certainly can see Him in church. But the truth is, folks, when, when, we, when we look at other people, we can see God. Now, now we've got to be careful not to put too much hope in them and certainly don't put too much pressure on them. Uh, we don't elevate them, but we're encouraged by them. When we avail ourselves of the opportunity to see other people following Christ, man, that encourages us. When I was a, uh, probably a young boy, the, the first time I really remember thinking that, that I needed to change my life, that I really needed to start following Christ for myself, uh, I had an example. It was one of my older sisters, Deb. And Deb lived her faith. Uh, she just, as a senior in high school, she she had some ministries that she and another girl started that were reaching out to some of the elderly people in our community. And she was involved in music and, and led crusades and, and did all this kind of stuff. And I remember watching her and thinking to myself, I want to be like that. I want to have a faith like that. The truth is, when we see people, we're able to see, uh, we're able to see God. And over in, in the book of Hebrews, this is what is said in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, kind of. It's two different things, puts some responsibility on us here as well. Verse 24 says, 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some in the habit or some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as the day is approaching. See, the reality is we need we need to gather together so that we can spur one another on. The reality is in the church, it's our job to help other people see God. When they come into our fellowship, as we love them, as we forgive them, as we encourage them, as we laugh with them, as we cry with them, as we do life with them, we spur them on. And, and sometimes as we, as we rebuke them and, and push them a little bit, we're called to spur one another on to be like Christ. How do they see? How do they see Christ? They, they see it in us. And, and so we need to be committed so that others can see God through us. We need to be close enough to see. How do we follow the example of Christ? How does that happen? We have to be close enough to see, and we have to put ourselves in places to see. Him. And we have to be close enough. We have to be close enough to know Him. Uh, my my three sons, uh, my three boys are uh, Kansas City Royals fans. Uh, and even though I grew up a Cardinal fan, they hate the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, there's reasons by that, but they're Kansas City Royals fans. I apologize for, to some of you. They're KU basketball fans, and uh, and they're Kansas City Chiefs fans. So uh, two out of three, I'm not too bad there with most of you. Uh, why? Why do they love those teams? And, yeah, I was, was going to point you. She's the original KU and Chief, uh, Royals fan. Because Reed and I both, we love. The, the Royals, KU basketball, not so much the Chiefs, watching, but we're not as big. But my, my boys grew up watching Royals games and KU basketball games and Chiefs games. That's, that was what we loved to do, and so they had no choice, really, uh, but to do that. When, when our oldest got married, we went back through some old uh, uh, video, uh, and I, I made a video that we showed at the rehearsal dinner, and I got... I got some pictures and video from my, my son Brian's wife-to-be, Christy, from her family. And, and I looked through old video, and we put together a video of both of them growing up. And so I had pictures and video together. So I watched a bunch of old video um, when the boys were little. And there's two things that stood out from those videos. Uh, one of them, in almost all the videos, if Rita was in them, <laughs> I apologize, son. Uh, Rita was almost always sitting on the couch like this. Like she, like she was wore out. I'll be honest, that, that 10 or 15 year period when kids, I don't remember her being tired that much. I, I, ladies, can you understand that? Because guys, we, we just, I didn't pick up on it when I saw that. I remember watching like, Rita, you look wore out. What's the deal? <laughs> well, I guess it was three boys in a household and working and must, that must have taken a toll on her. I apologize. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that in a few weeks from Ephesians chapter 6. But uh, So get ready, guys. Uh, we're in trouble. But... Uh, Second thing I noticed in almost all the videos in the background, if the TV was on, there was a Royals game or a basketball game. Why do my kids love them? Because, because we did. Love baseball. I became a KU fan because Rita's dad was a KU fan and I wanted him to like me. But then they're so doggone good that I just have stayed a fan. <laughs> uh, what? The reality is, whatever our passion is, catch this, whatever our passion is, we usually tr transfer that 
to our kids. Why? Because they're so close to us. They don't really have any choice. They're inundated with us. So if your passion's hunting and fishing, I bet your, your son's passion is hunting and fishing. If, if your passion is music, I bet you have kids whose passion is, uh, is music. If you love working on cars, I bet your, your kid uh, knows how to work on cars. If, if you love computers, I bet your kid loves... See what I'm saying? What, whatever your passion was, whatever moved you, whatever you were around, your kids were around that because they were close to you. And when they're close to you, they get to know you and your passion becomes their passion. We are to imitate God. What is His passion? See, if, if, if we're going to imitate Him, we've got to know Him. What is God's passion? Now, we could spend the next 10 years talking about what that is and what that means. But what is God's passion? Let, let me illustrate it this way, and we'll finish with this, uh, with this story. A couple weeks ago, I did a funeral for a, for a guy in our, our community. Uh, the family basically are, are, are non-believers. They, kids had come to some, some of the church stuff, VBS and, and youth group type things, and went to church camp some, but, uh, but, uh, but basically the family's not, never had a church home. Uh, um, and so I did the funeral, and, and it's always tough, obviously, doing a funeral for someone that you know wasn't a believer. But but in the sermon, I uh, I ended up talking about this, and I've done it at a couple other uh, funerals, um, and trying to trying to talk to them about God and where God's heart is in 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 their grief and and stuff. And I, I ended up making this point. I said I'm gonna uh, and I do this in the, the funeral sermon. So I, I'm I'm gonna teach you a scripture today, and we're gonna memorize scripture, and you're gonna go home today at a, from a funeral and have scripture memorized. And uh, and I and the verse I give them, you might have already guessed it. The verse I give them. Is John eleven thirty five? Anyone know that? John eleven thirty five. Just guess. Jesus wept. Yeah, shortest verse in the Bible. Everyone can memorize that. So, so I actually had them say this. I say this with me. Jesus wept. But, but I told them the story behind that verse. If you if you remember it from John chapter eleven, it's when the friend of Jesus uh, Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. Um, Lazarus drew, uh, became ill. They sent word to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick. Can you come do something about it? Scripture tells us that Jesus delayed because he knew that basically he wanted Lazarus to die. Well, that's not very good thinking. But he, he wanted to have him because he knew what he was going to do. He knew what was going to happen. So, so he waited a few days. When he got there, Lazarus had already died. They had already buried him. And, and when they saw Jesus, Mary and Martha ran up to him. and Oh, if you had been here, you could have done something about it. And and, and Jesus had to have almost been kind of snickering behind because he knew that hey, in a minute I'm going to turn your, your sorrow into joy. Your tears are, are going to, of sadness are going to turn to tears of excitement because I'm going to say Lazarus come forth and he's going to come out of the tomb and it's going to be wonderful. It's an illustration of what's going to happen for us eternally. And, and so Jesus had to be excited. But the scripture says that he saw Mary and Martha he saw their tears, he saw their anguish, he saw their heartache, he saw their pain. And, and John eleven thirty five, 35, and it says just this, Jesus wept. Now, he, he didn't cry because Lazarus had died, because Lazarus had come back to life. Lazarus had come forth, it was going to be great. It was, man, this is going to be fun. It's going to, we're going to have a party. This is going to be one of the best day ever. But why did he cry? Because he saw Mary and Martha, 
and he saw their family and their friends and everyone gathered. He saw their pain. And, and so I told this story and I was telling, basically telling the family, I said, God knows, God knows your heart right now. He sees your pain. The amazing thing, I watched that family who, who is not a family of faith and, and it's like it was the first time they had heard that story, which very well could have been. And it, it, it's almost like it was, it was almost a, a moment where you just stopped and I mean, like, wow. Because you could see their minds thinking, that's who God is? Because what does that passage tell us? Now, we can talk a lot of things, but it, it tells us that, that Christ's passion was people. What moved Jesus? It was people. It was their hearts. Uh, now, certainly for an eternal purpose, but that's his passion. So as we finish up today uh, with, with this idea of being an imitator of God and being close enough to see him and to know him, my challenge to you would be to learn, to think, to pray, to ponder on the passion of Christ. His passion was people. We'll talk more about what that means, but, but what is his passion and what should your passion be then as we imitate him? Let's close in prayer. Father, we, uh, we're challenged. We're, we're encouraged to imitate you uh, as, as dearly loved children. As kids look up to mom and dad and want to be just like them in a simple way, Father, you challenge us to be like you. Father, help us stay close enough to you that we can see you and know who you are and that we can, uh, can uh, have your passion. Uh, Father, help this church. Father, help this church look around and find its passion for you and find its passion for this community. And Father, as you saw people and your heart broke for them and, and your heart uh, uh, ached for them and reached out to them, and God on their level, Father, help this church be a church that reaches out uh, to people uh, with your passion. Father, help us be imitators, imitators of you in Jesus' name. Let's put that into action and imitate him. Let's, let's go this week and imitate God.